following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hey, good morning, Sacred City Moline. Pastor Sam here. I just want to thank you for inviting me once again into your home as you're huddled up on the couch in in front of the TV or you're sitting down at the the dining room table together to sit and listen as we open up the Word of God together. I pray this finds you well. I've been praying for you. I'm praying that this not only is a time where we get to enjoy the, the family time that we might have, um, but also for us to press into Jesus in these uncertain times. And so I, I pray that would be true of you and your family as you guys are staying well. Um, let me begin by offering a welcome, a virtual welcome at that, to those who are weary and long for rest, to those who mourn and long for comfort, to those who feel lonely and are looking for a place to belong, to those who are skeptics, searching for truth, to those who feel burdened with anxiety and are looking for a calmness of soul, to those who sin and need a savior, and to all who hunger and thirst for the brokenness in this world to be made right, and anyone else who will open up this this video feed. We welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's friend of sinners, who's the defender of the guilty, who is our all in all. We pray that he would meet you this morning. We uh, are continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians. Um, We are in uh, Colossians chapter 2, continuing the letter. Um, And and before we dive into the sermon, I'm going to pray for us. Pray that you would pray with me as well. Father God, we thank you for the means of technology that allow us to gather, gather, though we are separated. We, We have this little bit of normalcy. And so I pray, Father, that you would work, that your spirit would be using this as a means to build up and to edify your church. I pray that this would be a time of encouragement, a time where, uh, of even conviction of sin to to press us deeper into the gospel. And so for that to happen, God, I pray that you open up our ears to hear from you. That that as we listen, it wouldn't be just Pastor Sam, you know, spouting things off, that, that we would actually hear from you this morning, Lord, that our our heart would be softened to receive whatever truth you'd have for us. God, and you would mobile us uh, and our hands and our feet to live out the implications of this gospel. I ask for clarity of mind and precision of speech this morning. I pray that you would use me as an instrument for your gospel moving forward in the Quad Cities and beyond. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Back in 1970, Joni Mitchell wrote the song Big Yellow Taxi. Uh, you've probably heard some sort of rendition of this. It's been recorded multiple times, and growing up, the version that I heard most often was uh, Amy Grant's version of it. It seemed like it was always on in the car when we were driving with, with my mom. And, and the, the main theme or the, the catchphrase of the song is, don't it always seem to go, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I think what made this song so popular was the universal truth of that claim, right? This idea that, that applies to multiple different things. So you don't know what you got till it's gone, whether that's uh, the one, the, the, the true love that got away, or it's, it's you know, you've got an environmental slant on it where, you know, the rainforests are disappearing, or, 
or even if you're looking back at your adolescent years where you had that really cool car, your first car was super cool, and if you would just held on to it, now you would have had a classic, right? I, I've been recently lamenting uh, my ponytail that I had when I was in college, these videos, as I look back uh, from today and the years, I've just noticed my hair is disappearing, which I'm not taking it so well. Um, but, but, you know, it's like flashing back, man, if I would have only just known what I had when I had that ponytail, right? And it seems kind of petty, but, but it does highlight and indicate this reality that there are times where we lack the foresight, the, the times where we don't have a, a real appreciation for the things that we have, and it's not until they slip through your fingers or the time elapses and it goes away where, where you miss those things, where you thought, oh man, that was so great. Now, e- even with that reality, as we look back to the past, it, it, there are some implications in it for us today as far as that means that that there might be something that we have access to today, something that we might be enjoying to some extent or uh, that later on down the road, we, we will reflect on and say, man, I wish I still had that. that, that this one thing that we have right now is undervalued. And I fear that that, that might be the case for Christians, that, that we don't realize the value of what we have in Christ. Now, of course, what we realize, right, Jesus is, is my way, um, to, to, recon, to be reconciled to God, um, and, and he's gotten me, he, he saved me, he, he set me heaven bound, but there's this reality of, of the day-to-day where we just don't realize what we have in Jesus, and, and so it causes us to miss out on this deep satisfaction, this deep enjoyment that we can have of him, that we can find in him, and, and what eventually happens is we start looking for this spiritual experience or power or peace or some other condition um, that we had maybe initially found in Jesus in other places. Um, and it's especially true of trying circumstances when, when our circumstances are intensified and our, our faith is put to the test. That we, that we start thinking that I need a backup net or I need some sort of um, backup plan. So, so this, this concept of Christianity becomes Jesus plus a secure job or Jesus plus my health or Jesus plus whatever it might be that creates this dynamic of that it's more than just Jesus, that I need something else to supplement what he gives me. And as I say this, my main concern is not that people are going to leave Jesus completely behind and abandon him, walk away from the faith, quitting Christianity. It, it, my concern is more for, for us, that, and myself included, that we would miss out on everything, the riches that we have in Jesus Christ in this day-to-day adventure of life, that we would undervalue him, that we would miss out on what he's currently offering us. And this isn't anything new. This has been something that Christians have been struggling with for a long time. In fact, Paul is going to address this tendency that we have today. So let me, let me begin by reading Colossians chapter 2, verses eight through 10. That's our passage for today. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Now, let me take you back to verse eight here. Um, As we've been going through 
Colossians, Paul has been saying kind of the same thing in, in multiple different ways. And, and let me just highlight here. Verse eight, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now previously he's been saying the same concept, the same idea in, in, in like positively. So instead of saying don't be taken captive, he's been saying be steadfast, walk in Christ. And this is really one of the major themes of the book of Colossians that, that Paul says to us as Christians that you have been put on course, that you've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son. Uh, and so stay on this path. Don't go off it. Don't wander away. And so verse eight is saying the same thing except for negatively. He's saying it as a warning. Don't be taken captive. Don't be derailed. Don't be led astray. And this language, he says, of being taken captive is strong language. Uh, in his commentary, Douglas Moo says this concept uh, uh, of being taken captive relates to a concept of being carried away as plunder, right? It, it invokes this imagery of, of a, a thief coming in the night and stealing us away, or, or think of it in terms of a pirate who ransacks ships and carries away uh, their, their spoils, the booty. Yeah, I, I just said booty. I'm sure I got all of the kids' attention at this point. I'm talking about pirate's booty, right? The treasure, the spoils uh, of someone hijacking. Now, why would Paul have to warn us about this? It's because the reality is there are soul pirates lurking out there wanting to deceive us, to steal us away and sweep us up into something that is other than Christ. Right? And, and these people are people who want to, to pull us away and deter us from walking in Christ, of, of living our lives for Jesus in this close communion with him. Now Paul doesn't want that for the Colossians. Right? His, his command is to remain in him, to stay steadfast in him, and I certainly don't want that for you, sacred city. And so in order to prevent this from happening, we must be on guard. We have to be alert, just as it's repeatedly commanded throughout the New Testament to be on guard, to be alert, to be aware. So the question is how? How do we do this? Well, I think it's interestingly that there are some parallels here between this aspect of our spiritual life, of being on guard, um, and what's going on now with uh, the coronavirus and some of the, the, the mentality that we now have with this. Now, obviously, we can say we don't want our health to be hijacked. We don't, wanna, we don't want to jeopardize, jeopardize ourselves or those that we love. And so, so we need to be on guard for this virus, taking precautions. And so really how this rolls out is in two main streams. First is the awareness piece, right? We, we, the awareness that there is actually a virus out there that is causing havoc, that's, that's destroying people's bodies. It's, it's not a good thing, right? So having this awareness that there's a threat out there, that it, is, it, is, it does exist, it is a real thing. And then the, the second part to that is prevention, right? How to stop it from spreading, how to, how to keep it from running its course on, on a large scale. And so those two aspects of awareness and prevention, you can really see the parallels here within our, our own spiritual life of being on guard, of being aware. Now first, we say that to be aware of the danger. In, in Peter's first letter, he writes that the enemy is lurking out there, that he's seeking, he's trying to devour us, trying to consume us. And what that means, if you're a Christian, there's a target on your back. Like Satan is working against you. In fact, if there's one thing that Satan wants to do, it's to undermine 
the gospel. It's to, to undo the work that Jesus has begun in your life. It's not smooth sailing from here. If anything, there, there's a new threat, there's a new danger to us. And to be ignorant of that reality gives him the upper hand, right? Um, it's like a, a, a gazelle that's just walking through um, the, the safari and not aware that there's a tiger uh, lying dormant in the, the grass, right? So, so the tiger in that scenario has the upper hand. And so for us, we have to be aware. We have to be alert, right? You can pretend like the coronavirus isn't real. You can live like that. And, and what's gonna happen is it's gonna sneak up on you. Just like, you know, at the beginning of this, when people were licking toilet seats and doing stupid stuff, right? It's like, yeah, guess who are, who's in the hospital now? It's those people who are l- not uh, giving the, the, the threat its, its appropriate precautions, so that's the first part of being aware that there's an enemy. And the second one part of this is to, to prevent this. It's prevention. How, how do we stop the enemy from, from doing his damage, right? How do we keep things sort of limited? Well, it, it begins by knowing his MO, his mode of operation. What, what, knowing what to look for, what sort of traits he carries and what he's trying to do because the reality is satan's not walking around with an eye patch and a peg leg like a pirate right we're not oh there's the soul part we don't see him like that he's far more subtle he he works by distributing half truths through seemingly nice people and these are people that are labeled through the new testament as false teachers people who are who are promoting a, a, a doctrine, a, a teaching, a gospel message that really isn't the gospel that is contrary to what the Apostle Paul has taught those people who have sat under his preaching. And so the enemy, Satan, works by uh, deploying these false teachers who might appear to be wise and spiritually informed, uh, well-intending, uh, well-intended people, right? People that maybe have book deals and, and, and are leading large churches or, or I would even say cults, that, that people who are being swept up in their teaching. And, and the label that scripture gives for us is, is that, that they're wolves in sheepskin. These false teachers are. And really, this is how people are taken captive, right? They, 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 they get duped. There's something that gets pulled over them that they're deceived by appearance. And so that's exactly what happened with Little Red, right? Little Red Riding Hood got swept up because the big bad wolf deceived her, took on the appearance of her sweet granny. And so it's these teachers who are dealing, peddling these half-truths and, and incomplete gospel messages or it's Jesus plus whatever that, that is concerning Paul. It's not so much the absurd. It's not the, the spiritually absurd um, gospels and religions that Paul's worried about, though, though they are of some concern. Rather, what Paul is most concerned about are the plausible arguments, right, which might mislead some. That's language he used in, previous, uh, in, previ- in chapter one. These plausible arguments are full of half-truths. Um, they're, they're not necessarily a drastic turn away from orthodoxy or, or what is true faith, but rather a, a gentle curve. It's, it's as if it's a spiritual sleight of hand distracting people, getting people to look here when the substance of the faith is Jesus himself. And so they're distracting people, getting people to look beyond Jesus. Now this is the philosophy that Paul is worried about here. We see this, right? Don't, don't be taken captive by philosophy, is what he says. It's the spiritual sleight of hand, and, and C.S. Lewis says it in the Screwtape Letters when he, uh, he, he takes the, the, 
the position of an elder demon uh, discipling or instructing a younger demon and how to mislead Christians. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, with, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's this, it's this sort of idea that the more subtle it is, the more easily people are deceived, right? And so these false teachers aren't coming out and saying, hey, we've got this new gospel, uh, this completely different message. What they're saying is, hey, we wanna add to what's already here. And this is what was going on with uh, the church in Colossae. There were false teachers soliciting a hybrid faith. They were taking Christianity, true orthodox faith in Jesus, and blending it with the best ideas and concepts that paganism and Judaism offered, right? So, so both on both sides of the hyper-religious and the hyper-pagan, right, they're trying to infuse Christianity, and doing that, they're contaminated. They're making something different. They're getting people to look beyond Jesus, and they're using human tradition and the basic uh, principles of the world. Um, that, that's what the, if you look down in your, your uh, notes in the ESV Bible, when you see the elemental spirits, he's talking about the elementary principles of the world, right? The way things work. They're using these, they're leveraging these to mislead people away from Jesus. Now it's not that human tradition is bad, or, and there, it's not like all of the principles that govern and, and the ideas and concepts and worldviews that, that are being utilized in life are completely bad and we should completely throw them away. What Paul is talking about is are these human traditions and, and these concepts, the, the elemental principles of the world that actually make promises about uh, the spiritual power or offering deeper insights or a better way of living that extends beyond the grounds of Christianity, right? It, it, in a sense, these false teachers are leveraging the, the longings and desires that people have uh, with things that really can't deliver on, on any of the promises that they have. In fact, that's why Paul calls them um, empty deceit, right? There's a sense where the, this message is, is offering false hope, the empty promises. There's, there's no substance to what people are offering, uh, the false teachers are offering. It's as if they present, it's like a TV set, right? If you've ever seen behind the scenes on your favorite TV show, it, it's got the facade of a real house, right? It's got this really beautiful imagery. It's got this, you know, from the outside, it looks like it's ho- a house, but as soon as you walk through the set, it's nothing but two by fours. There's nothing in there. It's like, completely empty. And so it's in the same way where it's like these false teachers are making these big promises. Oh, look at, look at what my ideas have and what they offer, whether it's spiritual power or spiritual experience, yet when you walk through them, you find that there's nothing in there. They say this is the way, right? If, if you've watched The Mandalorian, right? What's that, the, the tagline they have? This is the way. They say this is the way, yet it's, mindless it's 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 deceptive it it turns out that their way leads nowhere now in our times the landscape has changed right but the empty promises the half truths still circulate right this this hasn't this isn't something that we've moved past as Christians. This isn't something that, that has been eradicated in the world. There are all kinds of false messages or, or counter gospels than what the true gospel is. There are prosperity preachers who combine faith in Jesus with this, this idea of, of, of having the American dream, of consumerism and capitalism, that you can have it all. 
right? You can, you can have your cake and eat it too. And you come to Jesus and you're coming to get health and wealth and prosperity and happiness. Yet, what people oftentimes find is those promises don't really get delivered. In fact, you look at the lives of the apostles. Most of these guys ended up lonely in pretty poor physical condition, in prison. They were not rich by any stretch of the imagination. Like, and so this reality of like, the idea of the gospel to come and follow Jesus is not lining up with this uh, empty promise of prosperity. Or you could get into the concept of moralistic therapeutic deism, which basically says, I feel like this is where most of our culture operates, is that you know, if you're just a good person, you, you do decent things, um, you're gonna be okay, right? You're, you're gonna make whatever God that's out there uh, happy, he'll be pleased with you, and you'll just be able to scoot your way on into heaven. Right, so just, it's, it's a moralistic gospel, just do better. Or there's the religious tolerance and acceptance, right? And, and, and when I say tolerance, it's not in the sense of like uh, not being antagonistic, or, but, but sort of a, a, a wanting to embrace, to like have this merging of all different worldviews and religions come together. And it's this concept that all roads will lead to God, right? You can mix and match. You can take a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from Islam, a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from whatever you want to take and sort of make your own type of religion, this own, your own type of spirituality. But, but if these things are empty, right? They, they don't have the substance. Um, they empty the, the gospel of its full meaning. And, and anything that does this, anything that misdirects us um, from the gospel. Anything that waters down who Jesus is and what he's done for us is an incomplete gospel. It's a false gospel. It, it, it's, it's propagated by false teachers. And because it's a false gospel, it has no power. There's no, no real promises that can be delivered through it. And this is why Paul sees these things, these plausible arguments as so dangerous is because they do have the ability that, that if you're not paying attention, if you're not on guard, that you can be taken captive by this. Right? That you, you can actually regress in your faith, that you go from walking in Jesus to now being taken captive by something else. And, and these, these ideas, these concepts, this contrary religion may not be completely absurd, but they are completely destructive. Right, these ideas that, that infiltrate and are mixed with true Christianity contaminate Christianity to the point where Christianity, it's no longer Christianity anymore. It becomes something completely different. It's like, like taking a, a drop of cyanide and putting it in a glass of drinking water, right? It, it makes it poisonous. It's, it's no longer what it was intended for. In fact, it has detrimental effects. Now, the good news in this all is that we aren't defenseless against this that there is a way for us to develop a spiritual immune system. And the best way to be not taken captive, the best way to be resistant to this sort of misleading and, and deceitful um, uh, ideas and worldviews is for us to be captivated by Jesus. Right? That's where verse eight ends. He says, see to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty the seed according to human tradition to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So this implies that we've been captivated by Jesus, that our eyes are fixed on him, that our heart is tethered to him. 
And in, in being captivated by Jesus, it means that we're not swept away by anything but Jesus. That we have this, our roots, like we saw last week, we've been rooted in him. That there's this, this sustainability that we find in him. There's this, this strength and fortification that we have in him. That we can be locked down in Christ and not let other ideas and worldviews and false gospels come into our ears and really mess up our worldview. We can stay fixed on Christ. And the reason why Jesus is so powerful, he's not just another religious concept. He's not just an alternative worldview that Jesus is everything that you can be longing for. Right, in verse nine, Paul has some wordplay here. Take a look at this. He says, um, for in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This word play here is contrasting the emptiness of vain deceit, the philosophies and the, the spiritual principles of the world, and contrasting that to the fullness, the robustness that is in Jesus. He's saying all of God's godness is in Jesus. All of the essence of God is encapsulated in Jesus, in that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That Jesus isn't some version of God light, right? He's not... Jesus isn't some sort of light beer faith. He's full flavor, full body. He's spiritually robust. Everything that you could possibly long for can be found in Jesus. And because Jesus is God, verse 10 goes on and says that, that, that he is the head of all rule and authority, that Jesus actually has spiritual power. Unlike these empty philosophies, this deceit that can't deliver on the promises that they offer, Jesus has the ability to deliver. It's not a gimmick, it's not a, a religious fad. Everything he promises can be brought through him. And so it's in this way that Jesus is the real deal. He's, he's the real essence of spirituality. He's the real faith. He has unlimited and unrivaled power which saves us from our sin and keeps us on track with him. Not only that, but Jesus is the manifestation of God's unilateral love. That, that's because God loved us first, that we can love him in return. That Jesus, as we've seen in the past couple verses, that he is the riches and treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. Jesus says of himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to Father. Nobody reaches security and satisfaction apart from Jesus. And so in this sense, he's saying that I'm, I'm the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to salvation. That he accomplishes what no man-made religion can accomplish, right? Which is to be reconciled to God, to be in good standing and enjoy God. That Jesus is the truth. That there is no deceit found in him. He is the yes and amen to all of God's promises, that Jesus is the life. He, he doesn't lead us into a deeper captivity like the, the, the concepts and the principles of the world might do. Jesus gives us freedom. For freedom, we've been set free. He gives us the abundant life that's guided according to the Holy Spirit and by God's word, right, which leads us to a flourishing life. See, this is... This is what we're captivated by. This is, this is what captivates our, our minds and our hearts and our imaginations. To be captivated by Christ is to see that he is all that you need, that there is nothing better, nothing more satisfying him. 
worldly riches, health, and our reputation, our comfort, our family, those, those are all good things. Those are all good gifts. But all of those things have the ability to fade away. All, the, all those things can be here today and gone tomorrow. But Jesus will always remain. So to have Christ is to have everything you need. See, this is why the, the equation of Christianity is, if you're a math junkie, you might like this, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? If you have Jesus, you already have everything. You don't need to add to him. You, you don't need to, to bolster him. You don't need to supplement him in any, any form. In fact, to add anything to Jesus would be, would cease to be Christianity, See, because Christianity says that Jesus himself is sufficient. There's nothing we can do to add to him. That Jesus is the epitome of fullness. Right, and so contrary to what the false teachers are saying, Paul is saying, you don't need to go anywhere else. Right? You, you don't need to go to this idea or this principle or this human tradition to find what you're looking for. It's all found in Jesus. So block your ears to those false teachers, to those uh, uh, religious peddlers. They're only enticing you with a counterfeit. It's vain, it's empty, it's hollow, it will leave you disappointed. But Jesus is full. Jesus is robust. In him, your deepest needs are supplied. See, so to be captivated by Jesus, his fullness, prevents us from being swept up in empty deceit. But here's where it gets really scandalous, is in verse 10. So, so verse nine says that, that Jesus is filled with God, right? The fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And now check this out, verse 10. And you, Christian, have been filled in him. This is absolutely mind-blowing. Trace that. Okay, so Jesus, who is the fullness of God, is now filling us. That means that we aren't just captivated by Jesus. We become invaded by Jesus, that we are now filled up with him. That, that's what it means to be Christian, that, that, that you have been united with Jesus in such a profound way that, that your, your life is wrapped up in his, that, that you are in him and he is in you. That you have been filled in him. Now look at this, this statement. Look at the tense of the statement. It's not that you will one day or you might one day be filled by him. It's, it's past tense. Paul says this has already happened, right? You have been filled in him. That, that if your faith is in Jesus, that Jesus is filling you. That all his love, all his power, his truth, the hope, the peace that can be offered to you, all of that can be, that can be fit inside of you is already there. So we've been filled with the fullness of Christ. This is mind-blowing. And you might be thinking, listen, I, if that's true, it seems, seems kind of weak, right? I, I just seems kind of like I'm kind of wanting more. Well, the good news is the more that you savor Jesus, God increases your capacity for him, right? It, it's as if your soul, your heart is elastic that, that expands, and the more that expands, the more Jesus fills you. 
That's why Paul prays what he does in Ephesians chapter three where he uses the same language. He prays for spiritual strength for the people in Ephesus that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? It's not just something that happened once, but it's, you're increasing in your awareness and the enjoyment and the fullness of Christ. It's always on tap. It's, it's, like, a, it's like some sort of a supernatural keg that's always full. Right? It's always available. It's right there waiting for you to gulp down and enjoy at any part of the day. Now some of us, some of us do a good job of tapping into this. Right? E- even in the midst of the situations that are definitely not ideal where in the midst of of troubling times, we are able to savor, to pull, and to drink deeply from Jesus and enjoy every part of him, the the fullness, the power, the peace, the joy that we have in these times. But But I realize that we can be inconsistent in that. You know, some days are really good. I feel this myself. Some days I have great days. Other days it's like, man, I I don't know if I really took a sip of, of, the fullness of Christ at all today. So there's an invitation for us that, that if we have been undervaluing Jesus, if we've been looking elsewhere to be stimulated or, or satisfied, that we can come to Jesus anew and to drink deeply from him. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, now's the time. Jesus wants to fill you with all that he has, all his All his love, all his power, his truth, his joy, his peace are available to you right now when you put your faith in him. That he can satisfy your deepest longings. He can give you hope and power and joy. Uh, There's a song that we sing together when we're gathered, um, yet not I through Christ. I love this line. It says, what gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. There's, there's a sense where God has given us everything that we could possibly need in Christ. And, and, and if, if you are coming to that realization, if you're moving towards Jesus, maybe for the first time, shoot me a message. And I would love to walk with you through this whole process of putting your faith in Jesus and celebrate that with you. But, but, I, but I need you to know this. I need you to remember, if you're a Christian, to remember this, that your fullness came at a price. For you to be full of Christ came at a price. Not not out of your own pocket, right? It's not not an expense that you had to fork over, but Jesus did it. It cost him everything. He emptied himself so that you could be full. And he did this totally. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though, Though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, in order to fill you up, Jesus had to empty himself completely, lay his whole life down for you. And he did that at the cross. It's a a gift of grace. Jesus offers us free of charge. There's, there's nothing that we have to fork over. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that the, the, the main difference between all religions and Christianity can be summed up in one word, grace. It's this gift of grace that's given to us in Christ. That, that the fullness that we can have in Christ is a result of God's grace towards us. That no other philosophy, no other religion offers us that. 
And so this is why we can say Jesus is sufficient. This is why we can say that no one satisfies the way Jesus satisfies my soul, that he is infinite in value. And so I pray that you would realize the infinite value of what we have, church. Like to, to really lock on to the concept that, that the fullness of God is in Christ and Christ now fills us. And so let us latch on to that. Let us not regret this. You know, 10 years down the road, oh man, I wish I would have had. Let us tap into this now. The fullness of Christ is there for us and let us not depart from it, but be filled more and more by the fullness of Christ. Father, we thank you for this gift that you give us. We thank you that Christ is full, that he has everything we need. There's no other place that we need to look but him. That in him we have joy. In him we find love. In him we find peace. That, that because of Jesus, we have everything we need to, whether in, in like normal times or, or in times of trials and tribulations, everything that we need is found in him. Help us not just to realize that, but really tap into Jesus, to, to savor him, to enjoy him, to be true Christian hedonists, to enjoy the Christ and his fullness who emptied himself for us. We thank you for that gift, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. I miss you greatly. I can't wait to be back in the flesh with you, but we will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>